Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. I'm so glad you're worshiping with us today. If you're a guest with us this morning, I want to say thank you for worshiping with us. And uh, if you are a guest, there's a card that looks like this one in the seat back in front of you. If you don't mind, take just a moment, fill this card out. And then at the conclusion of our worship experience today, you can stop by the Info Center. It's out in the lobby on your right-hand side. Drop this off with them. Uh, they're going to give you a free gift and answer any questions you might have about the summit. So again, thank you for being here today. We're so glad that you are. If you're looking for a church home, we hope that you'll consider this. And, uh, and pray about whether this is the right fit for you and your family. But again, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for those of you that are watching online at summittogether.com. No matter where you may be or how you may be joining us today, I want to say thank you for making the summit a part of your day. So thank you for worshiping with us. I pray that God has blessed you already. If you'd like to connect with us even further, you can do so on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And you can search for us at Indiana Summit Church. You'll find us there. And you can find out more about what we do and what's going on and just stay connected to uh, the life of the summit. So thank you for being here today. Uh, We do want to wish you a happy Father's Day. I want to echo what Todd said. Uh, We're so glad you're here today and on Father's Day. Day. And we recognize that Father's Day is a good day if you've got a good relationship with your father, uh, but maybe you've lost your father, or maybe you don't have a great relationship with your dad. And, uh, and we know that Father's Day might be challenging for you and for your family. And so I just want to encourage you, and it sounds churchy to say it, but I'm grateful that no matter what your earthly dad might be like, we have a heavenly father that loves us beyond words, beyond what we can understand. And uh, I'm grateful for a church like this one, that we can be a family together. So no matter what your family might be like or act like or, or feel like, I'm grateful for a church family that although we're not perfect, we love each other really well. And I'm grateful for that. So if you don't have a family, uh, healthy family. Welcome to our family. We're glad you're here. So again, I pray that God blesses you today on this Father's Day. Also, want to wish my dad a happy Father's Day. So I'm not even going to say anything else. I love you, Daddy. Have a good day. You can, you can clap for my dad if you want to. It's okay. Uh, well, thank you. Hey, and uh, that was one of our El Salvador people, and uh, she's not El Salvadorian, but uh, we, we got our El Salvadorian door team came back at like three in the morning uh, back to Indiana, and those people are crazy. They're all, a bunch of them are at church today, and uh, so I'm glad to have you back. A bunch of you are, went on our El Salvador trip and are back today worshiping with us. See, they love Jesus, but they don't love him a lot, or they would have come to the early service, so... Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, let me hit a couple things with you real quick, some st- things that are coming up. There's good, there's way too many things for me to mention to you this morning, uh, so that's why it's really important to stay connected to our website, stay connected to our email updates. We have a, a weekly email update. You can sign up for that on our website. Stay, tr- stay up to date on what's going on. Let me hit a couple things real quickly. Uh, July the 10th is coming up pretty quickly. Uh, it's a, it'll be a Sunday, and we're going to have a night of worship that night, and it's not going to be a normal night of worship because we're also incorporating our ceremonial groundbreaking in with our night of worship. So it's going to be a really exciting night. Uh, We'll be 
actually right behind the building here. Uh, so it'll be that night at 6.30 p.m. So you can park on the east, east side of the building or the west side of the building and then come around to the back. And we're going to have the building, the footprint for the new facility staked off. And we're going to just take some time and worship together and pray together and just believe that God's going to do some incredible things in the days to come here at the Summit Church. And he's going to use families and he's going to use kids and he's going to use teenagers to see uh, incredible things happening. And I'm glad that we get to be a part of that. So I want to encourage you, be here 6.30 Sunday, July the 10th, um, be a part of that. We want to encourage you to bring your lawn chairs, bring your blankets, uh, and come on out and have a great time. Bring your kids with you, and immediately following that, we're going to have a time of, and it sounds sounds cheesy to say it like this, we're going to have some refreshments following the ceremonial uh, ceremonial groundbreaking back at the pavilion. So we'll have some cake and just, uh, you know, bottled water, just time for us to hang out after we finish up, and uh, the kids can play and all those kind of things and uh, just spend some time together that night. So again, be here that evening. It's going to be a a great night in the history of our church. You don't want to miss that. Also want to let you know in regard to that, um, we're making some changes in our building. The bookstore is shifting, and uh, I think there's still some books available in there. We got a big sale, so we're adding some office space and changing some things over. So if you haven't stopped by the bookstore, do so today after we finish up. You'll want to check that out uh, and pick some things up. Also want to let you know, if you are new to the summit, or maybe you have, um, you've been coming for a while, but you've really only been connected or felt like this is your church home for a few months, um, I want to encourage you, uh, this Thursday night, uh, 7 p.m. in this room, we're going to have a night of vision. And that's specifically for people who maybe didn't really hear about our Imagine initiative and what we're doing and, the, and just the new building and the new facility and just our new initiative to, to reach lost people all over Indiana County and around the world. We want to encourage you, be, be here this Thursday night at 7 p.m. Uh, you can register for that out in the lobby or on our website. Uh, sign up, and they'll give you a card just as a reminder. Take that home with you. But we would love for you to be here just to share in that and to hear about what God is doing, what God is going to do, and a little bit about what God has done. Because if you're new to the summit, it's easy to look around and go, well, this church must have always been like this. Uh, but the first Sunday we occupied this building back in 2003, uh, three, uh, we had about 80 people in the room, 75 or 80 people sitting in this room that first Sunday. And they were believing for big things, dreaming for big things. And they knew God had a big destiny in store for this church and the people of this church. And, uh, and so I want to tell you a little about that and then tell you a little bit about where we're going as well. And so be here this Thursday night for that. You can sign up and register for that out in our uh, lobby at the info center. Uh, when I came to the summit back in January of 2014, we had um, uh, about 500 to 550 people here. And uh, the church has is, is doubled since, since we came. And it's just, that's for God's glory. God's done incredible things. I just am fortunate enough to be a part of it. And I don't take any credit because I don't, I don't deserve any. Um, but when I first came, I, I could handle some of the administrative stuff that we did. Uh, and that is not my gifting, it is not my strong suit, and to be perfectly honest with you, uh, numbers and the minutia of some of that stuff sucks the life out of me, and so the longer I've done it, uh, and the, the bigger the church has gotten, the, the more we deal with, uh, the more of a challenge it's been for me, 
and uh, a while back the board and I agreed that we would be hiring another staff member to help oversee administrative issues, whether it's the facility or the new building or uh, the finances of the church, or the, the, you know, just those kind of things, uh, HR and all those things that sometimes we forget about happen in a church our size. Uh, and so I'm excited that we're gonna be adding a pastor. He will be here with us uh, starting the middle of July. His name's Steve Rhodes. And uh, Steve is a veteran pastor. He's been a lead senior pastor at church. He's been executive pastor at a number of really large churches. Uh, the church he is most previously at <clears throat> was down in Southern California. It was a church of three to 4,000, and he oversaw a building program of about $16 million, and uh, they were building a new auditorium for their church. And he is from Delaware. He's got family down in Uniontown, daughter and son-in-law and grandbaby down there. And so they're excited about being here, close to family, and just being back kind of uh, in God's country out of Southern California. And so they're going to be with us starting the middle of July, and I'm excited for you to meet them, get to know them. They're going to be a great addition to this body, and I know you guys are going to fall in love with them. So uh, I'm excited to be adding them. I just want to give you the heads up about that, that that is going to be happening soon. Like I said, you'll be getting to know them shortly. I uh, Todd said this earlier, but one of my favorite things we do is, is baptisms because we can celebrate uh, changed lives. We can celebrate people who've been made different for God's glory. And I just want to share, these are the, the names of the people who've been baptized this weekend. Um, Jennifer Clayton, Aubriana Henry, uh, Lori Stankiewicz, uh, Travis Laser, uh, Alexandra Marshall, Jackie Merlo, um, Nikki Primack. Kiana Briscoe, Ryan Fields, Emily Fields, Nicole Fields, uh, Megan Parker, who's not Parker anymore because Megan got married yesterday and got baptized today. So that's exciting. We're glad she's she made that decision. I don't know why she didn't go on her vacation. I mean, go on her honeymoon and come back for baptisms, but that's okay. We're glad she did. Um, Caitlin Smith uh, and Michelle Yarnell. So, um, and, and also, I don't know if you heard me say Emily, Nicole, and Ryan Fields, and that's not luck. That's uh, husband and wife and their daughter all got baptized today. And I love seeing changed lives. I love seeing people say yes to Jesus and yes to what he has to offer. And uh, all that happens because number one, God's spirit is at work within us. But then number two, um, when when you live a generous life and you give freely, it allows us to do big things. It allows us to reach people. It allows us to help see people's lives changed. And so I just want to say thank you for that. We can be a generous church because the, this body is generous. Because you generously give, it allows us to, to give generously as well. So thank you so much for your generosity. If you want to give uh, to the summit today, all you have to do is uh, take the offering envelope out of the seat back in front of you. It'll tell you all the different ways you can give. Uh, you can give with a check by making a check out to the summit. You can give with cash by dropping it in the offering envelope, filling it out, and then dropping it in one of our offering boxes throughout the room. Uh, you can also give online. If you want to go to our website, summittogether.com, you can give by hitting the give button at the top of the screen. It'll tell you how you can do that. And then finally, if you want to give with a credit or debit card via your mobile device, you can text your giving in to 77977 and just text the word Summit PA to that number. And it'll tell you how you can do that. So again, thank you for your generosity and thank you for helping see lives made different here in Indiana around the world. Let's pray over there our giving and then we'll move forward. God, thank you for everything you've given us. As we give back to you today, let us see fruit. Lord, let us see lives changed, Lord, including our own. God, as we develop a heart for generosity, let us be made different. May let us be made more like you, Lord. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, we started a series on the book of James, and uh, we're in James chapter 2 today. And, um, and I got to be honest with you, um, 
today's not a fun message. Uh, like, I know when I'm prepping a message, if it's painful for me, it's probably not gonna be terribly fun for you as well. <clears throat> Have you ever watched like a root canal and you're like, you weren't the one having the root canal, but you're like, oh, that's gonna hurt. Like this is, as I'm prepping this message, it's like I'm getting the root canal while I'm watching somebody else get a root canal a little bit. And so that's what it feels like a little today because I feel like God wants to, to root some things out of us uh, that sometimes we overlook. <clears throat> and to be perfectly frank with you, <clears throat> Sometimes we don't address some of these things because we, we feel like they're no big deal. Um, but James is very direct, and I said this before, the thing I love about the book of James is that he is very direct with the, the Christians about where they're at and what they should do and how they need to change. And so it makes it a very easy book to understand and to digest and to apply in our lives. It makes it very easy for us to look at it and go, man, this is how this applies and what it needs to happen and what this needs to look like for me. And so I just wanna walk through some verses with you today. We're gonna start in James chapter two, verse one. And it says this, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And we look at this and, and most of us don't feel like we are partial or biased, or, or, or um, if we wanna say it like this, bigoted. Most of us don't feel like we have problems with that. We feel like we're fair, we feel like we're honest, we feel like we don't have a problem loving anybody. Um, but James was not talking to um, extremists, he was talking to the church. And he wasn't just talking to leaders, he was talking to the whole body. And he was trying to speak directly to an issue that they were dealing with. He was trying to correct division in the church. And really, if you look at the circumstances and the context of the church in that time, it's not too different than the church of today. Because there were divisions in the church because of their differences. Well, you had a group of rich people and you had a group of people who weren't rich. And there was division because they had different values and they, they quite frankly, took advantage of each other to some degree. And, and so James is trying to bring some correction to that. So he goes on in verse two to say, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or, or sit down and hear my feet. Have you not made, then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Um, the Old Testament specifically talks a lot about, uh, about unfair judges. Uh, it talks about unfair scales. Um, and, and when we look at this, we have to understand that when we have a bias against someone based on something we perceive, whether it's something they wear or something they, they drive or something they uh, live in, or maybe it's, it's not even something we perceive, it's just something we feel like, oh, they think they're all that. But maybe we haven't even had a conversation. That's a bias. That's a prejudice. We are prejudging someone before we get to know them. And so what happens is, uh, James is saying, we are putting ourselves in a position to be like the evil judge. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? You're like, well, I'm a pretty good judge of character. I can tell when somebody's evil. I mean, I saw him walking and he had a tattoo on his neck. That's gotta mean he's evil, right? That means he's in some sort of like Mexican gang or something, I'm sure, right? What are we doing? Well, we're prejudging. 
We're assuming we know something about someone because of something we perceive, and it, it couldn't be further from the truth. And when we do that, we put ourselves in a position to be the evil judge. And that's obviously not where God wants us to be. See, we all have a set of biases that we have to overcome, whether we will admit it or not. We all tend to gravitate to people who look like us and think like us and act like us, people who value the same things we value. Uh, That's why I love our church and the diversity of our church. Uh, There is a guy on our worship team. He's been part of our church for a long time, and you might know him. His name's Lee Strawn, a lovely. And Lee, at one point, he said, I don't know if I need to be on the worship team anymore. And I said, how come? And he said, well, the worship team is young, and I'm not young. And and sometimes Lee plays on Saturday nights, but he's got a white beard and white hair. And and he's, he's not... 29 years old. He's a little older. He's seasoned. And I said, Lee, I want you on the worship team because when people walk into our church, I don't want them to see a bunch of 25-year-old white people. I want them to see a mixture and a diversity. So when somebody walks in and they're 60 years old, they can go, hey, there's a guy like me on the worship team. Does that make sense? I, I, I want people to walk in and see different ethnicities on our stage. I want people to see women on stage doing things because that's what we value. We value diversity. And that's hard sometimes because we're attracted to what we are. We're attracted to things we're comfortable with. But that can be problematic because sometimes we exclude people that aren't like us or we, we're biased against people who don't think like us or act like us or vote the way we vote. And that's problematic. It's not just problematic. In fact, we're gonna see in a minute, it's actually sin. See, one of the things I do... Um, is I have to physically discipline myself to love people that are hard to love. Um, there, aren't, there aren't any up here in Pennsylvania. All the people that are hard to love are down in Texas and Oklahoma. I, I've spent a lot of time with those people. Um, but not everyone is easy to love. Do you know that? Does anybody know somebody in your life that's hard to love sometimes? Okay, thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Okay, good. But what I have to do sometimes is is I have to intentionally go hug on or love or engage somebody who maybe is not like me or maybe I know is, is, um, is not my biggest fan. I wanna engage them and love them and, and love on them because that is a physical discipline because what happens is there's a heart condition I'm working on and that physical action helps recondition my heart. Does that make sense? When I engage somebody, it helps me know them a little better. And if I know somebody, it helps me understand them, it helps me love them better. But what the problem is, is when we are biased and we prejudge, what happens is it doesn't even allow us to really get to know somebody's heart because we assume we know what their heart is and that's why we don't like them. Well, I know who they are. I see what they drive. I know who they are. I've seen the house they live in. I know that type of person. What we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for failure. So I want to encourage you as we're talking through this message today, as we conclude the message in just a little bit, be thinking about what are the areas of my life, what are the, 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 the biases that I need to give up to God? What are some of the, the, pre, uh, the prejudiced ideas or mindsets maybe I have? And this is not just related to, to ethnicity. This is related to social classes. This is related to how people dress. This is related to people who have tattoos. This is related to people who are young or maybe people who are old. Because let me tell you something. It's easy for people of the older generation to get a bad rep for, for being biased against younger people. Am I right? It's easy to do that. Well, they're slackers and they don't work hard and all those kind of things. But if we're going to be honest, don't older people get a bad rep from millennials? 
Don't older people get a bad rap? And they, oh, those people can't even work an iPad. Please. What do they know? They can't even turn on their computer. Well, yeah, but they stormed the beaches of Normandy, so they get some credit, right? Like, come on. <laughs> but what are we dealing with? We're dealing with biases. We're dealing with preconceived ideas and notions and what we have to do as a people, whether we are old or young or black or white or rich or poor, is set aside our biases so that we can truly know the people we're in relationship with. And that's what God is calling us to do, and that's what James is attempting to do. But some of that comes with a physical discipline where we go, okay, you know what, I'm gonna choose to love well in spite of what I think I know. James goes on in verse five, he says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court and and are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now, when you look at this at just face value, it's easy to assume that this is an indictment of, of people with money, but it is not at all. What it is is an indictment of the church of that time for leaning toward or being biased toward people with money. And, and James says, basically, this is my paraphrased version, it's idiotic for you to act this way. Because you're being biased toward people who, who you think are going to give you what you want, but really they're the ones that are dragging you into court. So you're biased, but you're even dumb about who you're biased toward, right? Or biased against in this matter. And he said, God doesn't look at things that way. We talked about this a little last week, but one of the prevailing themes of the book of James is this division between the way the world thinks and the way we as Christians should think or the way God thinks. And, and so what he's trying to do is draw this line and said, you think if they're rich, they're better, but God doesn't look at how much you've got or how much you don't have. God looks at your heart. So God's not impressed by your car or your house or your bank account. God's impressed with your heart. That's what God looks at. So he says, stop looking at things the way the world does and start looking at things the way God does. God is this is gonna, might offend some of you. God doesn't care how many tattoos the person has. God loves them. God doesn't care about the piercings. He loves them. God doesn't care how old or young. He loves them. God doesn't care about ethnicity. He loves them. Are, are, you, are you catching my point? What we have to do is set aside our worldly mindset that is biased and bigoted and say, God, I wanna love the way you love. Give me your heart toward people instead. See, it's this inverted gospel that Jesus proclaims, that James is referring to in verse five, when he said, God has chosen those who are poor to be rich in faith. Jesus talks about this idea a lot. He talks about, hey, hey, you wanna save your life? Well, guess what? You've gotta lose your life. You go, well, wait a second, that doesn't make sense at all. In order to save my life, I have to lose my life? Absolutely. It's this inverted gospel where you take what the world thinks and you flip it upside down, and that's the way God thinks. Uh, you want to lead? You, you, want to, you want to be the master? Then guess what? You have to be the servant. Well, that's, that's not fair. I don't want to live my life like that. I want to be the master. I don't want to serve, right? And God, Jesus says, no, we flip it upside down. You, you've got to learn to serve in order to be the leader. You, you, want, to be, you, you, you want to be made powerful? You have to be made weak. That's what, that's what it says to us in Philippians. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Right? When we're weak, then God is strong in us. It's this inverted gospel. It doesn't make sense, but again, it draws a line between the way the world thinks and the way God thinks and the way God would have us think. He goes on in verse eight to say, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, 
And then it tells us what the royal law is. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So in verse eight, it says, James is saying to the churches, if you really do what scripture tells us to do, you're doing a good job. And what does scripture tell us to do? It says it in Leviticus, in Levitical law, but it also is said again by Jesus a couple times in the gospels, and it's echoed here, love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is, um, this is, and we're just being honest here, we're family. This is a gut punch for me. You go, well, wait a second, I love my neighbor as well. They need to borrow a, my air compressor, I'll let them air up a tire. Yeah, I'm good to my neighbors, right? They came over for a cup of sugar. I gave them some sugar, right? Like, I'm a good neighbor. But it's not talking about the people that live in proximity to you. It's talking about the people in your life. And it's not just talking about the people that are easy to love and the people that look like you and act like you and think like you and vote like you. It's talking about the people who don't look like you or think like you or act like you or look like you. So the standard isn't how well do you love the people who love you? The standard is how well do you love the people who hate you? Because that's what he's really asking. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? And I'll be honest with you, I, I love myself pretty well. I think I'm a sharp guy, pretty good looking, right? And guys are delusional. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we see all the good. Women look in the mirror and they see all the bad, right? It doesn't matter, a woman can be a perfect 10 and she looks in the mirror and she's like, oh, I'm fat. A guy, doesn't matter how fat he is, he's gonna look in the mirror and be like, I'm fantastic. Look at this, ooh, yeah, right? We love ourselves well. We think we are fantastic. We take care of ourselves. We splurge on ourselves, all those kind of things. So now apply that same standard to the people in your life that don't act like you or think like you or believe like you. Do you love them like that? And I'll be honest with you, I don't do that like I should. It's a challenge. So what James says, if you're doing that, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Good job, just keep doing it. But, but listen Listen to what he says in verse nine. This is, this is the painful part. He says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. So if we're partial, we're committing sin. So these verses go together for a reason. It, it's this converse side of it. It says, so hey, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're doing what you're supposed to do. But on the other side of that, if you're showing partiality, you are by default not loving your neighbor as yourself, right? So you're in sin. So when we're biased, when our heart judges or prejudges someone else, when we box someone in because of what we perceive, what we're doing is we're actually living in sin. That's, that's not easy to swallow. That's painful. But the truth is when our motivation for treating people well is what they can do for us, it's not just bad behavior, it's sin. When our motivation for treating people well is, is how, um, how they treat us, well, if they're nice to me, I'll be nice to them. Guess what? That's still sin. If your motivation for treating somebody well is how you perceive that they treat other people that you don't really investigate or you don't really know, you haven't really gotten to know the heart, that's still sin. And we have to examine that and we have to be honest with ourselves about that. And that is painful and that hurts, but it's true. 
See, one of the reasons I love preaching through a series like this is because it forces us to preach on scripture we wouldn't normally preach on. Because I like talking about God's grace and love and blessing. And you guys like hearing messages like that, right? Don't we all like, yeah, tell me how I'm gonna be blessed more. I wanna hear that part. We don't like hearing the part where we go, this is why we all stink. And this is why we need God's help desperately, right? So we're forced to confront some of these issues in our own heart. We're forced to confront some of these issues in our own lives. And it's not fun. It's not enjoyable, but it's necessary. See, one of the things that um, that was referenced in James, it says, um, oh, where he, he says, talking about the commandment, which is the greatest of all commandments. And, and Jesus makes it very clear, it's about relationships. But we get hung up on law all the time, on the right and wrong side of it. Um, we want... <laughs> We want to enforce the full measure of the law when it's someone else, don't we? We somebody see somebody else mess up and we go, hey, drop the hammer on them. They deserve it. You, hey, you made your bed, you sleep in it. You reap what you sow. We're good at all those kind of sayings when it's not us. When we're the one who mess up, do, do we typically say, I made my bed, now I'm gonna sleep in it. I reap what I sow. No, what we usually say is, you know what? I know I messed up, but my heart was right, right? Oh, that's not who I am. I just made a mistake. What we're doing is we're saying, I, I, I would like mercy. I would like some grace in this area. But we're good at dispensing justice. We're bad at receiving it. We're good at receiving mercy, but we're bad at dispensing it. This is what it says in uh, James chapter two, verse 10. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Verse 11 says, for he who said, and it's talking about God, he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. See, in Hebrew religion, in, in, in Jewish religion, the, the whole law was interconnected. So if you broke or violated one law, if you transgressed against one law, it was like you broke the entire law. And see, in the world we live in today, we'll say things like, well, yeah, I was speeding, but it wasn't like I was killing anybody, right? So we justify our transgression because it's not as bad as another transgression, don't we? Well, I mean, sure, uh, sure, I holler at my wife, but at least I don't hit her, right? What do we do? Well, we're justifying our action because it's not as bad as another action. But if you look at Hebrew tradition, the way they looked at the law was that we serve a holy, righteous God and that any sin before God is a blight. And so when we approach the throne of God and our heart is stained with a sin, even a tiny baby sin, it's as if we've broken all the law. And that's heavy stuff. But what Jesus has done is he's, he's changed the game and he said, wait a second, it's not just about how you behave. It's not just simply about how you maintain the law because could any of us maintain that? No, it's an impossible feat. It's an impossible task. What Jesus does is he shifts the equation where it's not suddenly just about keeping the law or, or breaking the law. It suddenly becomes about relationship. So what does he say in 
Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. It says, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, talking about Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So I'm gonna stop there. What does he say? Love God with everything you are. Ring yourself out with love for God. Let everything in your being be about loving God well. And then he backs that up with his next statement. He said, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. What does he say? We can focus on changing our behavior all we want. We can focus on being nicer or better or whatever we wanna do, but I want you to know that it's not just simply about our behavior because we wanna focus on changing our behavior, but what God wants to do is focus on changing our hearts. And the way our heart is changed is by pressing in close in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're changed. We can't just want it more. I hope I change. I hope I get better. I cross my fingers. No, we have to press into Jesus. It's not just about what we stop doing or start doing, but what we have to start doing more than anything else is pressing into relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus says is, you're focused on the law, but all of the law rises and falls on relationship. Think about any law in Scripture. In fact, in Jewish tradition, there's over 600, but the big 10 that we think of are the 10 commandments, and every one of the commandments deal with either our relationship with other people or our relationship with God. And what Jesus says is, no, 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 stop worrying about the minutia, start focusing on the big thing. Get your relationship with God right, chase and pursue after him, and get your relationship with people right. And this is hard to do. Because when we talk about a relationship with people, we're talking about biases, we're talking about prejudices, we're talking about differences of opinion. It's hard to argue with God. We do it, but it's hard to argue with God. But I think one of the things Jesus is trying to tell us is our relationship with people impacts our relationship with God, and our relationship with God should impact our relationship with people. The more I press in to God, the more I know him, the more I know his heart and his character and nature, the better husband I should be, the better dad I should be, the better employer, the better pastor. Does that make sense? Because my, my relationship with God is impacting my relationship with others. But I will tell you this, my relationship with other people impacts my relationship with God. If I'm biased, if, if, if I'm prejudiced about the way I view people or a certain group of people, if, if I'm gossiping, if I'm doing these kind of things and it's impacting my relationship with others, you don't think that impacts my relationship with God? We go, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. And it's not like I'm killing somebody. But in the eyes of God, it's, it's sin. And that's the expression of the condition of our heart. That's why God wants to recondition our heart. He wants our relationships to be right. He wants our relationship with him to be right. He wants our relationship with others to be right. See, last week we talked just a few minutes about the law of liberty because we look at the law and we think, oh, the law is limiting us, but really the law sets us free to live the life that Jesus dreamed for us to live. And, and James comes back and looks at the law of liberty a little bit and he says this in verse 12, so speak and act, uh, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now, it's easy to look at this, again, at face value and go, hey, so we get to speak and act as people who are under the law of liberty instead of the old law. So yes, I get to do whatever I want and say whatever I want because we're free. We're, we're under the law of liberty. And that's not what it means. 
What it means is, as we speak and interact with others, as we speak and act with those around us, we need to judge them not under the old law that says, you committed one sin, you're out, you're dead to me. Because it's like you broke the whole law. But we need to approach them with a law of liberty that extends a lot of grace and a lot of mercy. Like I said earlier, when I mess up, I love for people to extend me grace and mercy. But sometimes when other people mess up, we wanna drop the hammer, right? But what James is saying is, hey, remember that we're under the law of liberty as Christians, as believers. So when somebody messes up, extend the benefit of the doubt to them. Trust them, love on them in spite of what you perceive, in spite of how you've been prejudiced because of your background, because of your upbringing, because of whatever it might be. Extend liberty, extend love, extend mercy, extend grace when it's hard to do that. He goes on to say in verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And I love this last line. It says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is a proverbial saying in verse 13. It says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. See, this is kind of like that, that old statement, we reap what we sow. See, if we are good about sowing mercy, if we're good about extending grace to people when they mess up or seeing somebody that maybe we're a little uncomfortable with, we go, I don't know, they don't look like me, they don't think like me, they don't act like me, but I'm gonna extend the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna extend grace. I'm gonna extend mercy. And I'm gonna see what happens. What happens is that returns back to us. We tend to sow those things, but then we reap those things as well. The same manner in which we sow mercy into others is the same way we receive mercy. We, we, we glean that. We have a harvest of mercy in our lives when we extend that. The problem is we want to sow justice and we want to, we want to reap mercy, and that's not how that works. This is a heavy message because at the end of the day, we're talking about real relationships. We're talking about people. And God desperately wants our relationships to be right. When you look at the book of James, I said this earlier, there was division in the church because of their differences. And James understood something very well. He understood that a church that is unified is a church that can't be stopped. A church that is unified doesn't mean that everyone looks the same or acts the same, that we're little robots, but a church that's unified is a church that can set aside our differences and be united under the banner of Christ to do what God has called us to do. It was James' desire for the first century church to function like that, but I can tell you it's God's desire for the churches today to function like that, for us to be unified and say, you know what, we are different. We do look different. We voted for different candidates. You believe some different things than I do, but that is okay. We don't have to look the same and act the same and be robots, but we are gonna be united under the things that matter, and the things that matter are Jesus Christ desperately loves lost people, and he wants you to grow in your faith with him. So what can we do? Well, we set aside our differences. We extend the benefit of the doubt. We extend mercy and grace instead of judging. And we love people well. That's what God's called us to do because relationships matter. Relationships, at the end of the day, are the things that are most important to God, our relationship with others and our relationship with God. Um, some of you might have read and some of you know this family, but uh, uh, Mike and Pam uh, Ponsick are... They're a part of this church, um, great couple. I love them very much. Their daughter, Jill, also attends here. And uh, man, they're just an encouraging couple to me. They've personally just um, had words for me at times that I desperately needed them. And I just appreciate them and their hearts so much. And this last 
week, uh, their 33-year-old son passed away. And you might have read about it. He was in a motorcycle accident in Indiana, and um, it was tragic. It was heartbreaking. And I, I did not know their son, Craig. Um, there's going to be a memorial service for him here on Tuesday. But the thing that struck me as I was with them at the hospital, uh, the first day he was there, um, was just the amount of people that came in and out of the ICU uh, people he played baseball with and friends and family and uh, just friends of the family and people coming by. And, and that was a testimony. It was not a testimony to the kind of truck that Craig drove or the kind of house he lived in or the kind of motorcycle he rode. None of those things mattered at that point. The things that mattered are the people that were impacted by Craig's life, the people that were touched, the people that were changed, the people that were impacted. And at the end of the day, when we are saying our last goodbyes and we're breathing our last breath, it is not going to matter what we lived in. It is not going to matter um, what kind of car we drove. None of that stuff is going to be impressive to other people. What's going to matter is our relationships. Number one, our relationship with God. Were we serving God? Did we have a relationship with him? Did, did he know us and did we know him? And the second of all is what did our relationships with others look like? That's what matters. That's our legacy. At the end of the day, that's the same question for us today. What does that look like for you? How are the biases of your life impacting your relationships? How are the biases of your life impacting your relationship with God? There's a couple of things I would ask. Ask you to just invite God to show you today. As we are finishing up, as we worship here in just a moment together, I just want to ask, I just want to plant the seed in you to ask God these questions. Ask God to show you the people that you're not dealing with impartially. The people in your life maybe that you have biases against, that you're not treating fairly, that you're not loving well, that you know you need help with. Then I also want you to ask God to show you how to learn to love mercy, not just receiving mercy, but dispensing mercy as well. See, a person that knows how to dispense mercy is a person who will change their community. But a church that knows how to dispense mercy is a church that will change the world. That's who I want us to be. But it doesn't start with us just making an agreement that we're gonna do this. It starts with each of us individually saying, God, change my heart. Help me to be a person that loves well. God, forgive me of my sinful heart that I, I've been biased against people or groups. God, forgive me, help me, change me. God, recondition my heart. As we individually begin to do that, something then something powerful corporately happens where we can come together and, and be the church that God has called us to be. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve it. God, we didn't do any, anything to earn your love to earn your mercy, earn your grace, but God, simply you extended it to us when we didn't deserve it. God, thank you that you love us in spite of us, not be because of us, but we're flawed and we're a mess. And God, we desperately need your help. So God, I pray today for the hearts of people in this room, restore us, recondition us, help us to be made right before you, God. Lord, heal our wicked hearts that cause us to be biased against and be be partial against or for. God, I pray that you would help us recognize the different people in our lives or groups in our lives that 
we're biased against. And God, help us to set that aside for the sake of your glory and the sake of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'd help us love well. God, I pray for unity in this body. God, I pray that you would unite us under what we have in common instead of divide us because of what we have that's different. God, help us to see that we are your kids and that you love us desperately. And God, let us be focused on the things that really matter. Lord, have your way among us. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you recognize the fact that relationships matter and you know today, you say, Mel, I know that my relationship with God is not where it needs to be. And I wanna be changed. I wanna be made different, but, but I know it begins there. I know it begins with my relationship with God. And I need God's help today. I can't, I can't do it on my own. I need, him, I need him to make me different. I need him to make me new. And what we're gonna do is, is, is I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand in just a moment, but I'm not gonna make you come forward. I don't wanna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you where you are. And if that's you, this is the beginning of a journey. And, uh, and we wanna help you on that journey. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, I, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna, I wanna be in a relationship with God. Pray for me. Would you just put your hand up real high where I can see it? Thank you. Who else? Thank you, up in the balcony. I see you up there on my left. You can put your hand down. Thank you, ma'am, over here on my balcony. Thank you. A couple hands in the back. Thank you guys so much. You can put your hands down. Praise God. Thank you down here, ma'am. Praise the Lord. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say, pray for me? Thank you so much. Thank you down here on the floor. Thank you. Praise God. Well, I'd like you to repeat this prayer after me, whether you raised your hand or not. Say this prayer out loud with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. I did not deserve it, but you did it anyway. Take my life and use it for your glory. I'm never turning back to my old ways and my old life and my old thinking. I am yours today, and I am new. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we, can we celebrate this morning what God has done? Thank you, Lord, for changed hearts, for people that are made new. Lord, we love you. Now listen, if you're here today and you prayed that prayer, you raised your hand, uh, there's a card like this one in the seat back in front of you. We wanna help you take the next step in your journey. Uh, it's not a ton of pressure, but we just wanna help you. It's hard to do this thing on your own, so we wanna come alongside you. Fill the card out that says Salvation or Rededication, and then drop it in one of our offering boxes before you leave today. If you want to, you can take it by the Info Center if you'd let, rather do that, but fill this card out. We will be in touch with you this week to help you take the next step to grow in your faith, to let you know what you need to do now. We wanna help you with that, and we wanna resource you, so fill that out. Let us know about your decision. Now that everybody's looking around, I'm gonna... I'm gonna call you out a little bit. Um, if you're here today and you say, Mel, I know I'm a Christian, I know I'm going to heaven, but I also recognize that I've got some biases I need to deal with. Maybe it's against a certain person. Maybe it's against a group of people. Maybe it's against the old or the young or whatever it might be, but you know today you've got some biases in your heart that you need to deal with so that God can make you right and God can make you who, who he wants you to be. Would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? Thank you. Yeah, all over the room. Yeah. Let me just pray over you. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace that you have freely extended to us, God. I pray that as we have received that mercy and grace, God, let us in the same manner dispense that 
God, in the same manner that we willingly received your mercy and grace, God, let us freely and willingly and liberally give that away as well. So God, when we see people who don't think like us or act like us or look like us, God, let us not be biased against them, but God, let us have a heart for them. God, let us dispense mercy and grace. God, let us extend the benefit of the doubt. God, I pray that we would understand that relationships are important. So God, I pray for every person in this place that raised their hand, God, shape and change their heart, recondition their heart to a place that, that it can be truly, fully used by you. God, let us not be satisfied with any Anything less than that, God. Let us not be satisfied with our old thinking, but God, reshape us into your image, God. We want to be like you. We want to love like you. So God, help us do that. Thank you for loving us, and we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Now listen, this is what's going to happen right now. Uh, our worship team is going to lead us in one final song, and as they do, our prayer team is going to come forward. They're going to be available on either side of the stage. If you need prayer for any reason at all, don't hesitate to step out from your seat as we begin to sing together. Step out from your seat and come find one of our prayer team members to agree with you in prayer. I believe that God is a big God, and he wants to help you and work through you in your situation. We want to pray with you about that. As we finish up this uh, the song, Pastor Todd is gonna close us out and dismiss us. So we'll be going in just a few minutes. Again, guys, I want you to know, I hope you have a fabulous Father's Day. I hope it's fantastic for you and your family. And I, I tell you this every week, but I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. Almost, almost made it. But I do, I truly love you guys so much. Stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time. And uh, let's just reflect on what God has spoken to us today. And if you need prayer, step out from your seat, guys. God bless you. You stood before creation, eternity in your head. You spoke the earth. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.